The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to those expressing them and do not necessarily reflect the OSA Foundation Incorporated or any other group or individual. This podcast may contain dialogue or subject material that could be considered for mature audiences only. All aspects of how you play the game and the OSIP Foundation Incorporated are protected by copyright and other state and federal intellectual property laws. Unauthorized use without the express written consent of the OSIP Foundation Incorporated is strictly prohibited. If you're interested in sponsoring how you play the game, please email us at podcast at osipfoundation.org. Your sponsorship may be tax deductible. time to have another mustache competition although our guest has grown a goatee now so it's completely just changed my entire opening it's time for how you play the game the official podcast of the osa foundation incorporated yours truly jack furlong with you as we talk to you about what's going on as far as the world of sportsmanship is concerned this is the second episode of the month of january the year is 2022 again a very happy new year to everybody glad you can be with us as always check us out online the web address is osafoundation.org. You can contact the show via email with the address podcast at osafoundation.org. On social media, facebook.com slash osafoundation, Twitter and Instagram at osafoundation, hashtag how you play the game, and now also on YouTube. Across the way from me, as always, on the screen is the producer engineer, Mr. Sean Ryan. Sean, hello. How are you? I got a new MacBook. Oh, you're, you're just... I, you know, I'm, ex- I, I can, I'm excited. I can only imagine what's going to happen later. So, um, you know, that's for that's for uh, podcast after dark, I guess. So, which technically could be any podcast if you listen to it on demand when the sun goes down. We have we have uh, another fantastic guest uh, with us today. Uh, th- this young man has been uh, a retired umpire in Major League Baseball now for five years. He had a 30-year career from 1987 to 2016. He was voted umpire of the year by Close Call Sports in the Umpire Ejection Fantasy League in 2013 and 2009. Honorable umpire of the year in 2010-2012. The veteran of three All-Star Games, 10 Division Series, four LCSs, and three World Series. And a personal hero of mine all the way from the other coast of this great country, Mr. Jim Joyce. Jim, hello. How are you? Thank you so much for being here with us today. Jack, it is absolutely my pleasure. And I got a new iPad for Christmas. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's which fantastic. I'm, which I'm speaking from right now, as a matter of fact, that's amazing. Nice. That's amazing. So, um, the, the, the first thing I think we have to ask you, and this is on everybody's mind, do you have a preferred throat lozenge based upon your plate voice and your strike calls that you've had? And I'm only asking for stock tips, basically, so that I know <laughs> what to buy in 2022. <laughs> Actually, it's nothing more than a little bit of experience, a little bit of practice, and a good, strong cup of coffee. Okay, good, no. good. And we have a lot of coffee here on, on the other coast. So that's that's. I'm, I will put all of my money in Folgers then. Um <laughs> You know, you know, Jim, as I'm as I was preparing for this interview, um, you know, obviously everything points to, uh, you know, the, the, the game with Armando Galarraga and whatnot. And as I'm looking at that, the first thing that hits me is obviously that occurred in 2010 and you started your career in 1987. So that's a pretty large chunk of time where you you had a, a a fantastic career where like if you the if the average fan were to pull up for example your wikipedia page there's practically nothing there you know and and to me as as an umpire myself 
you know, I, I, I look at that and I think, you know, if the best compliment uh, an umpire can get is that nobody knew he or she was there. That to me, that says something pretty darn impressive about your career as well. Do you take pride in that? Is there, you know, what, how does that make you feel in knowing that, you know, you, your career was just so momentous in my opinion, because of, of that, does that mean something to you? Yeah, it really does Jack. It's um, like you said, it's, you try to stay out of the way. Right. And I occurred many games that I really did. Also, I really tried to do was my job. That's really what it boiled down to. I didn't do anything special. I didn't think about anything special. I just went out with the experience that I had from being in baseball for a long time of just going out and doing my job. And the, the call, the Armando Galarraga call, really is a speed bump in my career. Mm-hmm. And because before that glitch and then afterwards the same thing i went back into that same mode of just going out and just trying to do my job and uh do it to the best of my ability i know that sounds um i don't know egotistical or whatever or maybe even a little bit of cheeky but really that's really what i think most of us really try to do is just go out and do their job <laughs> go back that night and you know you just do that every single day it's 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 a routine and it's something that you're geared for you're geared for from the minor leagues all the way up through the major leagues nothing really changes from the minor leagues to the major leagues except the place got bigger that's right. really yeah. the, the the biggest difference and you know uh yeah, I, I I take a lot of pride in, in in what I accomplished. Let's put it that way. Okay. No, I think that's I think that's fair, and I don't think that that's egotistical at all because, you know, we we have as as it's not even as umpires. I think as human beings, we you know we want to, you know, take some sort of uh, sense of accomplishment in just you know going to work every day and knowing that we're given it all. And I think you know another to, to, the converse to that I think is that. You, you were noticed in this sense, you know, I know it happened shortly thereafter the, as you called it, the glitch in your career, but, uh, you know, ESPN, the magazine released the poll where you were voted the best overall umpire in an anonymous survey by, by the players. So clearly someone was taking notice and it was in such a positive way. Does that, what does that mean to you as well? I think it really means that uh, even before, like you said, that happened before the uh, 2010, or it might have been in the same year. I'm not really even sure. It really means that I just went out and, and really did do my job. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a relationship on the field that I always believed that a player could talk to me and we would go from there. I tried never to be the first word. Players usually always have the first word. And arguably, umpires always have the last word. Right. I tried to just listen, take heed, and I tried very rarely. I, I tried not to fly off the handle, and I, that was very rare if that if that would happen. There's a couple times that I, you know, kind of snapped on the field a little bit, but you know, most of the time the um, circumstances justified it, and. 
Um, baseball changed a lot from 2000 on. Uh, I call it um, pre-joining our, our staffs. Right. We were totally different umpires. Um, after 2000, it, it became a mantra of Major League Baseball to have us be non-confrontational. I took a lot of I took a lot of stock in that, and I really tried not to be confrontational. Before you had to be a little bit confrontational, or they, they didn't think you were doing your job. So it was a, a pretty big adjustment after two thousand yeah. or ninety nine, two thousand, something like that. <laughs> but I think one of the reasons is is I'm I'm more proud of the respect that I got because of the way I handle myself. And, and I'm not trying to be uh, building up Jim Joyce because that's not what this is about or what I was about, but that's just the way I feel that I had, I had the respect, but I had to work for that respect too, though. So I think respect had a lot to do with that. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you think, I mean, you know, we always try and humanize sports officials, especially in our organization, because there is that perception that, you know, as you know, we were supposed to start perfect and get better. And and then also when you look at the game on or any game really of any sport on television, you know, you don't obviously hear the interaction. You you know, we just make these assumptions about sports officials sometimes. You know, do you see that what, what you just described as a, as an opportunity to tell fans, viewers, etc., that there's a better way to go about the business, especially in youth sports, when it comes to relations with sports officials, because we know that that kind of behavior that, you know, that, that you didn't, you know, you, you clearly got to avoid because of your respect is rampant in some of these lower levels. How do we get that message to, to those who are viewing it and, and need to kind of understand that a bit more? It's, it's, it's funny you bring that up because I've, I've said many, many times, being an amateur official is probably the hardest job in sports. Mm -hmm. My dad was an amateur umpire. My dad quit umpiring because of an incident that happened to him in a peewee baseball game where parents actually followed him to his car. He said, that's it. And this is back in the 60s. Okay. And he said at that time, he goes, no, it's, I, I, I do this for beer money right. and uh, I don't need a beer that bad. <laughs> um, but that's when the, that was at a time when officials were to blame for everything. Right. I mean, if something went wrong during the game, whether it was your kid or my kid or whatever, it was the, it was the, the official's fault. Right. <laughs> We've grown a lot since then. And I think it started, um, at least for me professionally, I got into the game in the late 70s. And it was, you went out and you took charge. And uh, it was take no prisoners. And you got to be a big, tough guy and everything right. like that. that. That also started changing in the late 80s after you got, known and you were seen on the field more and more, you got a little bit more and more respect. Um, and then in the 2000s, it totally changed completely to non-confrontational. And it was more of a listening job and then reacting. Before it used to be react and listen. And after that, 
Right. But for the amateur officials, I still say it's the hardest job in sports. Parents are the worst. I'm a parent. I used to watch my kids play. I know the feelings. And, but I can't really say if it's gotten better or not because I haven't been in that part of reality right now because my kids are grown. I don't have grandkids that are old enough to play yet or anything. So I really don't know. You would have to advise me on what it is like now. Right. But all I can say from watching some videos on social media and such, um, it's a tough job. And, and, and I, Jack, it, yeah. And Jack, you've been followed to your car. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. And and you can't miss me because I drive I drive a Honda Element, which is a giant green orange box. So you know they know where I am. You know, I'm not, spoiler alert: I'm not a spy. You know, just in case anybody was wondering. So, but you're absolutely right. I mean, we as an organization exist because of it. You know, yeah. we, we unfortunately have to spread that message. You know, we, we joke about it all the time, but it's true in that our goal is to not have to exist because right. that kind of stuff is still so rampant. Um, you know, I was, I was telling um, somebody the other day, you know, I'm, I'm president of our chapter out here for all the, you know, the high school umpires in our county. And, uh, you know, I get, I get cadets and second year guys who come up to me and ask me questions. And I had one guy last season say, you know, I, I was doing a one man game by myself. It was a JV game. We were stuck. And I was the only one there. And I had a parent come up to me at my car and say, basically, I hope you're happy because you were terrible today. And I'm like, right. Do you like, like, what do you stand to gain as a parent? You feel better when you, you know, when you say that and, you know, it's ironic because the uh, the beer money that your father was trying to earn is something that I now need because of incidents like that. You know, you you right. you, you find yourself at the bar sometimes just going, "What the hell just happened?" You know, I was I was early on. My son was playing. Um, oh, I guess he was about ten or eleven years old, maybe a little bit younger, because I was on I was on vacation and. Um, they asked me to coach and I, God, I hated that. I hated, I hated the, I hated the recognition of being scared to death. They're going to ask me to umpire. Right. First of all, but I felt kind of okay about them asking me to coach, even though I stayed very low key here in Beaverton, Oregon. I, my neighbors really don't know what I did. I think there's only one neighbor that even knows who I am and what I did. So, which is for me, a good thing. You might be the but, spy, not me. So. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I'm coaching first base, and it must have been Little League because we had volunteer umpires, and the umpire was a minister. Okay. And he was calling balls and strikes from behind the pitcher and stuff. He did it all, all the bases and everything like that. And I'm at first base coaching the, uh, coaching the kids, and one of the kids hits off the end of his bat a spinner, that's going down the first baseline is in foul territory. And then all of a sudden it does that snake move and it curves back into fair territory and goes past first base. <laughs> and I instinctively not realizing I'm coaching, I pointed fair. <laughs> the minister, the umpire calls foul ball. Oh no. And he says to me, that's right. Isn't it Jim? I went, 
Uh, no, it's actually fair, but you know what? It's not a big deal. This is a 10-year-old game. It's not right. a big deal. Well, the opposing coach is standing behind me about 10 feet, and he says, no, it's not. That's a foul ball. And I said, well, no, really, it's actually a fair ball. And he goes, well, I'll show you in the rule book. Oh, jeez. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, I'll see you next yeah. inning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so three outs go by, and he comes by. And, uh, I come back, and he's got a rule. He literally has a rule book in his hand, and he's going to challenge me on the rule. And, the, and uh, as you know, as an umpire, the rule states if a ball settles foul it is between home and first, it is considered a foul ball. Correct. I said, you're exactly right, sir. I said, but the ball didn't settle foul. It actually settled fair. Right. And he goes, no, it I said, sir – the ball never stopped moving, and before first base, if it crosses the first base into fair territory, it's a fair ball. Trying to be not using my umpire voice or anything like that. <clears throat> and he looks at me and goes, what do you think you are, a major league umpire? <laughs> <laughs> and I went, as a matter of fact, I am. Wow. And he went, yeah, and he went, yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> Confrontation of it all. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was um, – the volunteer, the volunteer minister, all he wanted to do was get the game over. That's yeah. all he wanted to do. And I just wanted to correct the – and we didn't even correct the situation. We kept right. it as a foul ball. We didn't rant – nobody ran it or raved or anything. But it was the challenging of it all. Right. And I have always said that a parent that has a kid that plays any type of sport, especially baseball, should have to umpire at least one game of their kid's game to even be qualified to be a fan. Right. Mm. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I, I would welcome it myself. So I think that that means, um, you, I mean, geez, we could end the podcast right now if we wanted to, but we got so much more to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, so let's tackle the you know the 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 game with Armando Galarraga. I know okay. that you have told the story an infinite number of times. You've written a book about it with with Galarraga. Um, you know that we can you for our listeners take us through it again. You know in some sort of summarized fashion from you know wherever you want to start and through through you know your experience uh, to to really show your human side, because that's very, I think that's very important to us to know you as a human being in that situation. The first part is very easy. The play happened. Right. I knew exactly what was going on. I mean, there are some people out there that say that I didn't know what was going on at the time that Armando was throwing a perfect guy. I knew exactly what, what was, I knew from the third inning. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. We have the call. Right. I can't explain how that happened. I, to this day, I can't do it. Um, I, I, I've played it over my mind a million times. The ball was behind Armando. I can justify it that way. No, you can't. Yeah. Um, the ball came out, uh, the glove came up and everything like that. I, I knew he was on the bag and you know what? Safe came out. The call was safe. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think the most important part of the whole situation was afterwards was in the old days, there would probably been a little bit of feeling about it, but not much. Right. 
but the way that we were, we, I was working now with advancement experience and everything like that. I knew exactly what happened and what I did. And I had made the conscious decision immediately. I wasn't going to try to get out of it. I wasn't going to say the sun was in my eyes, uh, you know, whatever. And I knew when I walked off the field, well, first of all, when Jim Leland came out, he didn't say a word to me, not one word. And I just told him, I have him safe. He turned around and walked away. After the fact, after the 28th out, um, he came out to me and said, you blew it, Jimmy. Now, what are you going to say to that? He's had time to go see it and everything like that, so I can't really come back on him or anything. So I just went to my locker room, and I looked at it one time, and that was it. Yeah. And I started throwing everything in the locker room in, in my area all over the place, cursing that would make a general sweat. And um, I knew that I had to face it from then on. And that's what I did. And the behind the scenes part of it is the, the media came to our room and they have a rule in major league baseball and probably in most sports that only one reporter is allowed to come to the room. Well, 50 reporters showed up in Detroit, in the, the Detroit at the Detroit locker room that night. My, my crew chief, Daryl Cousins, God rest the soul, uh, was arguing with them that there's only one person allowed to come in. I, I finally said to Daryl, Daryl, let them in. They're going to start yeah. keep screaming until we let them in. And then after that, all I did was I, I tried to tell the complete truth and my complete feelings. I think that was even more important was my feelings of how I felt about the whole situation. And after that, I mean, everybody kind of knows that <clears throat> My, I played with Jeff Jones, the pitching coach for the Detroit. We played at Bowling Green together. Right. He came to the locker room. Jim Leland came to the locker room. Armando Galarraga came to the locker room. Dave Dabrowski came to the locker room. And they all came to support me. Yeah. I mean, where do you go from there? I, I, I kept, I've, I've told the same thing over and over again that I was the most hated man in the world for 15 minutes, 15 to a half an hour because it went out quick. Yeah. But as soon as my speaking to the press and stuff and they start putting it out, it immediately turned around and I started getting support. I didn't do it for that reason. I just right. did it for the reason that was the truth. Yeah. And that's actually the gist of it. That's, that's fair. I mean, I, you, you did it because you're, you know, I've known you for, you know, half an hour, basically, and, you know, and I know that you're such a good dude that, you know, you did it for all the right reasons. And I know that, you know, the average person probably looks at the story and may, you know, it may conjure up, you know, a certain amount of superficial emotions, but it also tells such a, a, a beautiful story of sportsmanship that, is, is, is such an important highlight of, of, you know, your career, the career, and, and just the story of humanity to a certain degree. I don't think, I don't think that that's being 
overly dramatic because it happened on a stage, you know, that it did and the way that, you know, the way that it got, the news got around. And, you know, I, I, I love the fact that everyone, you know, Galarraga came to support you, Jimmy Leland. By the way, Jimmy Leland is the spitting image of my girlfriend's father, whose name is also Jim. So I'm like, like the, all of that is like ingrained in my head. And, and I can't, I just can't get around that. Um, well, I actually had a relationship with Jim Leland before I even got into baseball. So really, oh. Jim Jim Leland's from Toledo, Ohio, where I where from, you're from, he, yeah, right. And he hung out with my cousins and stuff like that. They went to school together and everything. And I had a kind of a backdoor relationship with him a little bit uh, before I even got into baseball. And uh, he, he was, um, if I'm not mistaken, he actually uh, was the manager of the Mudheads for a, a little while. Yeah, I'm not real was. sure about that one. But um, but it had, it had nothing to do with it either because Jim Leland's one of the most fierce baseball men you're ever going to meet. Right. And um, it, it was and the other thing that Jim Leland also did uh, was when he came into the locker room, he said, "Jimmy, I'm going to tell you one thing right now. You need to put this away. You got to get over this. My team won tonight. Yes." Armando didn't get a perfect game, but the most important thing was my team won tonight. I still take that, but it still hurts so bad that, yeah. it, you know, uh, the other part of it should never have happened. Right. But as the story goes, it's one man that disaffected, or actually two men, me and him. Right. Uh, and I got to give a lot of credit to Armando Galarraga, which I've done over and over again on right. how he handled the situation. No, um, I, yeah. That could have been, I mean, really, if you really think about it, it could have been one of the most volatile situations that you ever could get into. And, and it didn't happen. And I don't know if it's just karma or what, I really don't know. I, I have no, I know there's a reason for everything, but for this, I don't know the reason. I, 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 I wholeheartedly hear what you're saying. And, and it, I, you know, again, it's, it's totally beautiful. Did you, um, I, you know, I, I remember reading the quotes from, from Jim Leland, you know, where he said, you know, I, I was more disappointed than I was mad at, at Jim Joyce, you know, and which, you know, again, human being makes sense. Understandable. Did you happen? Did you eject him that night after that? In a nope. post nope. Okay. So it was just, okay. no, but, Nobody was injected. Okay. So there's hardly really, if you look, if you watch the video and I've only seen it once, there's hardly any argument. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, yeah, it's, that's, it's funny because that's something that I think gets lost to a certain degree in a, again, in a superficial way, because again, we, we all know what's happening in the situation. We all, you know, remember what we do remember. And that speaks again to the humanity of the situation, which I think right. is, exceptionally important um you know when they when when the whole thing uh, occurred you know like i i was looking at some of the other quotes the one that that sticks out to me is the one from uh mariana rivera who said quote it happened to the best umpire we have in our game the best and a perfect gentleman it's a shame for both of them for the pitcher and for the umpire but i'm telling you he is the best baseball has and a great guy it's just a shame when when someone like mariana rivera goes on record to say that what does that mean to you it means everything i mean especially from a guy like mariano rivera and you know what i finally caught up to him um our schedules after 
combining the staff, we hardly went to the same city over and over again, like we did in the old American league. And I had actually seen that quote and I didn't know about it for the longest time. It, it took quite a while. I'm going to say it took probably five years. Okay. And one day I'm working second base and I can't tell you where, but it was not in Yankee stadium because Mariano Rivera had a walk to the bullpen. Okay. And he was walking right past me. And I just, we made eye, can't, eye contact and I looked at him and I said, Mariano, thank you for what you said about me. And he just nodded to me and we, you know, he just went on his way. And that nod, though, I could see it in his eyes. He actually, I think, really meant it. So, yeah. um, and that was the only time I'd ever, after that, I mean, I, you know, I, we very rarely have interaction with players. So, um, you know, I, I at least got to do that and, you know, thank him for that. And, you know, it's not like I went out on a thank you campaign of every nice thing that was said about me, because that's not what I did. It just happened. You know, we just happened to cross paths yeah. and class guy. Oh, absolutely. No, absolutely. I, I, I mean, the, the story that you shared there is in line with everything else <laughs> that I've heard about him. You know, I remember a buddy. I don't think I've ever. I don't think I've ever told that story. Well, we're breaking some news here, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. I, that, until you said, until you brought up Mariano Rivera, I don't think I've ever told that story. Yeah, you know, he, I, I know, you know, he, he definitely is that kind of guy. A buddy of mine who uh, was working in the minor leagues uh, was assigned to Yankee camp a couple of years in a row before, right before he retired. And he told me a story where he was. He went down and he was working a minor league game behind the plate and Mariano came in to get some work in and he's thinking to myself, oh, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm calling balls and strikes for Mariano Rivera here. And afterwards, both he and um, Larry Rothschild at the time was the pitching coach, you know, went up to him and said, hey, great job today. You know, like, like that, that must mean so much to just this young, inexperienced umpire or not inexperienced, but, you know, minor league umpire getting his feet wet and whatnot to have someone like that say, it's got to be the same thing that you're telling us that, oh, like, you know, it's, it's just, he's, he's the real deal. And, and you're any, any, any kind of recognition like that. I mean, I mean, recognition, I don't mean um, just saying hi to somebody or whatever. I'm talking about the recognition for what your job, what you just did. Yeah. And if it, if it's positive, Oh, file that because yeah. that doesn't <laughs> happen that often. Yeah. And yes, for a young umpire like that, for a Larry Rothschild to do that, and a Mariano Rivera to boot is that's a feather right yeah. there that you put that away. Yeah, so. no, you're absolutely right. Um, you, you ended up writing a book uh, with Armando Galarraga. Um, you uh, penned it along with uh, Daniel Paisner, I believe. Is that correct? That's correct. How, what, what did that mean to you to, to help write the book and, and to be able to tell the story the way that, that you did through those pages? It was therapeutic. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, of course, I was doing, I did some interviews, you know, obviously after the fact. But baseball wanted me to get on to umpiring. Baseball basically told me, stop the interviews, um, move on. Okay. And the book was not that favorably by baseball. And it's really disappointing to me that that was the, the case because in my humble opinion, 
I think baseball missed a great PR moment. Yeah. Uh, Jim Leland pulled off probably the biggest PR move when he sent Armando, Armando Galarraga to the plate the next day. Yeah. That was huge. Baseball did not embrace the story. Really? Baseball didn't want the story to continue. And um, for people that didn't know, I was taken off the Detroit Tigers games because Armando, Armando Galarraga was playing for the Tigers. But a lot of people don't know that I ended up doing that same year, 2010. I worked Armando Galarraga behind the plate, and it was promoted by Major League Baseball that I was actually going out there to work an Armando Galarraga game. Then right after the fact, they took me off the games. Um, so, um, and that, you know, everybody, that was so anti-climatic, it was not even funny. Yeah. Armando Galarraga came out. You know, I took the lineup cards. This is in August of that year. <laughs> uh, I take the lineup cards. Armando Colorado comes out. It's in Detroit. People are booing me naturally, which I totally expect. I don't have a problem with that one one iota. Uh, Armando looks at me, nods his head. I nod my head back, and we went to work. Yeah. That was it. That's it. That's, yeah. It was so anticlimactic. It wasn't even funny. Yeah. And they were expecting some, I don't know if it was going to some sort of prophecy or whatever was going to happen that night or whatever, but it was just two professionals going out and doing their jobs. Yeah. And baseball was scared to death of that. You know, I, I know that I understand the, you know, the, the, the optics of what they did by taking you off of those games uh, not whether I agree with it or not is, is separate. I understand that because I, I can understand how like, Jim Wolf can't work the plate when his brother was pitching, for example. So right. I, I understand that. Um, it, it, do you think that some of that reception, that, that, that the, the stance that baseball took, do you, do you attribute any of that to just trying to get out of, you know, the pressure to quote unquote, change it the call so that he has the perfect game or anything like that because obviously we know the call was not changed you know and we we i don't think we expect that to occur you know at, at this point but do you think that that was baseball's mo or do you think that had anything to do with it or you know a fraction of it yeah watch out what you wish for because there's still that i th i personally get the possibility of the possible making things right. Yeah. That's just me. But uh, I don't know what baseball was thinking when they took me off the games. They called me and told me, we're taking you off the games. Okay. That was it. And was there that, was, was that after the book was published? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. They were pretty heated about that. Well, it doesn't even, seem even, even though, even though, the, even though I did, uh, I, I spoke very highly of baseball and everything like that. And I would never, ever hurt the game of baseball. Of course. And really, if anybody knows me, well, all I can say is I didn't fight back. Okay. I, I took my whooping. Okay. I, I, I respect that, you know, and, and I don't think that the, the, the book had anything controversial in it you know i don't think Not you know it, it was a it was a, a you know a, a, again i'm using these these keywords of story of humanity and whatnot but 
You know, it, it, it's not like the pages were, you know, filled with juicy gossip or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It was it was a story of uh, of beauty, in my opinion. And and I, I just I, it, I don't know if, if I can say I'm saddened, I'm frustrated. It's it, it's just very confusing, I think, to, to hear that. Um, you know, and probably very similar to, to, you know, how you felt then and continue to feel now. Um, you, you mentioned, no, go ahead. I really, I really did realize, uh, I was a mess for quite a while. Um, I mean, I, I beat myself up pretty good and, and thank God my wife was right behind me and, you know, telling me the you know, hang in there and, you know, fight the demons, right. so to speak. And because my wife, Kay, was 100%, I mean, right there with me the whole time. Um, she, and, and imagine this, a wife with two, two kids, she's handling the press that were coming to my house that next morning and everything. Mm-hmm. And my son actually had to come over and, you know, help deal with it all. But the thing about it is, is that, instead of embracing the situation of how it ended up, it was looked at as taboo that I would even dare speak out about it. Really? And like you said, the book is really, it, the book is a story of two guys that met one night inadvertently in the jobs we did. And then the books are actually the book actually tells about our stories growing up and stuff like that. This, this, like you said, this isn't something scandalous or anything like that. Right. And I'm not even trying to promote the book because I didn't make a dime on it. Not interesting. one penny. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Okay. Nope. Not a um, penny. Do you? Are you? I know you. You just kind of alluded to it a little bit. Do you feel like the the call should be changed? There was a rumor going around for the tenth anniversary. Uh, in 2010, that there was a rumor going around about that, and actually, that's the last time Armando and I actually talked. Okay, uh, talked with each other, and I endorsed it if it was if it truly was going to happen. I don't have any problem with it. Okay, and Armando. Well, I'll let Armando speak for that. I, don't, uh, I shouldn't really speak for Armando. That's fair, but, mm-hmm. but not to, but not to keep people hanging. It hasn't been changed. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, that's no, that's okay. very true. Yeah, no, and- uh, but I, but I shouldn't speak for Armando there. But what your question? I don't have any problem with it being changed. Not one. Okay, mm-hmm. I mean, and and the only you know the reason that I because because in in an, as an umpire myself, I think to myself. I understand the call not being changed. And I also yep. understand now, you know, especially with the, you know, how, how things have progressed with replay and, you know, getting the call right and all that stuff. I mean, I think back to the, the, the call, I was just talking with um, Dale Scott about this when we did an episode with him, there was the call, I think in Tropicana field where Hunter Wendelstedt went to replay and went and, and before he even put the headset on, he says, I know I kicked this call. I'm just going to change it, you know? And I understand, right. I, you know, again, I understand the optics of it and I, you know, I'm not going to get into that, but we, we have this new culture where with right. the advent of replay, 
we, we, we put an emphasis on getting the call right. And if, if that is the context now, I understand where you're, what, what you're saying with endorsing it to, if it were to change. So I, you know, I think that that's the best answer that you could possibly give. And I respect that, you know, that's, that's, that's great. I would love to hear baseball come out and say upon further review. Yeah. And then go ahead. And um, I think Josh Donald would gladly give up quote unquote one hit. Yes. Yes. And I don't even know who the next batter was, but I'm sure he would gladly give up one out. Yes. <laughs> this is very true. Not, neither I, of those. I can't, I can't see anybody arguing that point. If they do, we will certainly recommend, you know, a, a, a medical professional be sent to them right away. <laughs> you know, um, I don't think either of those statistical changes are affecting the Hall of Fame career of anybody on the field that day. So, nope. yeah, um, I, 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 I wanted to talk about this, too. And I, I, I preface this by saying it's a shame we have to talk about it, but you mentioned what was happening with your family. You know, I know from listening to other interviews and podcasts, like listening to the job, the, the, the interview you did with our friends over at Close Call Sports, you know, what happened with, with your family and whatnot. In, in terms of relaying a story about it so that we can inform people that this should not be happening, what was it like for you and your family to to have to cope and deal with this? Because it's it's to me, this is a tragedy that, you know, things were changed in that way and happened the way that they did. It should have never happened. We need, you know, it, it's we just need to have better ideas of how to treat people rather than to say and do some of the things that were said and done. And that is so true even to this day. Yeah. And especially in our times right now. Um, my very first thought when I got to the locker room, after I dealt with the press and everything like that, my next thought was my family. Okay. And baseball security came in. I can't tell you the gentleman's name. He was great. I told him, I said, the most thing I'm, I'm really concerned about is my family back in Beaverton, Oregon. My daughter's at the University of Oregon. My wife's at home by herself. My son lives in Beaverton. I need help with this because they're going to, the worst thing that can happen is somebody going after my family. Yeah. Baseball did a great job. Baseball security did an awesome job. Uh, George Hanna was in charge at that time, and he did a fabulous job. But you know what? Nobody should have to do that. Yeah. Right. And I think that's what your your point is. Yes. And I really, um, but you know what's really kind of funny, Jack, is that after the fact, when I, after it hit the wave, after after what I had said and poured my heart out, those fifteen hundred death threats I got stopped. Interesting. It, it is really amazing. I've had, I mean, I've had some on anniversaries. I just I just attribute that to somebody sitting in their basement without anything better to do. Yes. <laughs> and um, but it's kind of funny what the feelings and the true statements instead of trying to get out of something or try to quote lie about what happened that really didn't happen 
the truth actually stopped the main part of getting trashed. Interesting. And I still say that to this day. Now there are always going to be people out there that, um, you know, want, want a pound of flesh. Yes. And you just have to move on from that. And believe me, 95% since 2010 has been positive. And that's a good thing. Yes. I wish we could continue that. And uh, we need more of that. Let's put it that way. Absolutely. I mean, geez, it's like, you know, it's like a plate score. If you're getting 95% or better on, you know, when calling balls and strikes, that's a pretty good day. You know, you yeah, just don't, don't get, don't get me started on that. <laughs> I'm, I believe me. I'm I, it's, it's listed here to, to uh, touch on some of those things in a, in a couple of minutes. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I feel like in, in light of all of the story of the, the, the game with Armando Galarraga, we then have a couple of different things that I, I highlighted that show you know, a, a, another level of your humanity. The first one that comes, if we go chronologically, the first one that I have here is when you saved the woman's life in Arizona on August 20th of 2012. Uh, take us through what happened that day. That's the biggest highlight of my career. Really? That's, that's, the, that's the epitome. Um, ironically, in college, I was a health administration, first aid and safety major. Okay. So I had a lot of uh, background in first aid and, and stuff like that. I was actually a, a lifeguard, so okay. I had to learn CPR, the old CPR. I'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> but that day, actually it starts the day before. We, we went to Phoenix, and Phoenix starts their games at 640. Okay. Every other place actually starts, except for Colorado. No, wait a minute. Nope, Phoenix is the only place that starts at 640. Well, we're used to games starting at 7, 7.05, or 7.10. Makes sense. And so you you hear you're getting to the ballpark because of that. <clears throat> well, that night before, on August 19th, we got to the ballpark a little bit too late because not re we forgot that the games were at 640. It was totally on us. And so in the locker room, I said, boys, we're leaving a half an hour earlier tomorrow. Okay. And w when I said before, I don't know why things happen, uh, but they do. We left a half an hour early, earlier, and I was working with James Hoy, Lance Barrett, and Jim Reynolds. Lance and, and Hoy were in front of me, and Lance is six foot five, and yeah, really can't see in front of me. My wife's with me. We're actually holding hands, walking down the tunnel, going in towards the locker room. We get to the point of the uh, we keep going straight, and off to the left is the service area for uh, food services. Okay, <laughs> the next thing I see is this lady laying on the ground, and there's a lady kneeled at her at her feet and she's yelling at her jane jane and i said we need to move her away from the wall so i reached on i grabbed her and i pulled her away from the wall because i thought she was having a um um a seizure okay so i kind of looked at her and she started to get pale and i i did a couple thumps on her chest and it kind of brought her around a little bit 
And I said, come on, Jane, come out of it, come out of it. Because usually what happens is if you, you give them a couple compressions on the chest with your finger, uh, that kind of shocks them a little bit. Right? Right. She didn't come out of that. And all of a sudden, she just went blank. I could see her eyes dilate. And I told the lady at, at her knees, go get the paramedics. She's not breathing. And I did four quick breaths of mouth-to-mouth and started compressions. And she needed help, and everything worked out. That's fantastic. And, wow. But my daughter, who's a nurse, says, Dad, we don't give mouth-to-mouth resuscitation anymore. We do hands-only CPR. Thank you, honey. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm writing but this down she, now. But once <laughs> she said it, she had a big old smile on her face. Oh, that's, that's good. It. That's good. And and um, I, I know that that was kind of joyful there. But unfortunately, Jane Powers, um, she passed away um, last year. She had gone through a uh, heart transplant. She fought the good fight. And she ended up, after she got her new heart, she ended up with covid Oh, and no. oh. everything just went downhill from there. She was on the transplant list again, and it just didn't happen. And unfortunately, Jane passed away. But you know what? She's looking down on us all, and, you know, she was a really, really good person. Yeah, we, we, we send our condolences. That's, that's horrible to hear. But at the same time, like you said, that, that's such an important story. And you're, you're absolutely right in saying sometimes you don't know why things work out the way that they do. And, and to, to be able to save her life is, uh, you know, again, such a, such a moment in humanity that this, 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 this young man who, you know, just followed the, you know, the, the fought the fight of what you did with, with Galarraga a couple of years before is walking in and saves a, a young woman's life. And that's, you know, she's able to get, X number of more years because of that. That's that's just so so beautiful. Um, you know, I, there's there. I don't even know if there are words to 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 continue to transition from that. That's just you know. It's, well, it's, I'm just I, you know what, Jack. It, it was it was the highlight of my career. That's, high, obviously, it's got to be the highlight on everybody's playlist. Because, yeah. Um, transitioning from it is just keeping a good thought. I mean, yeah. I, the way you can transition from it is I hope everybody learns CPR. Yeah. Mm. No, it's that's so true. easy. It's so yeah. easy because you never know when you're going to use it. And I've only used it twice and um, they've both been good things. And it's, it's something that's so simple. They got to make sure that you learn the right CPR. Otherwise, your daughter's going to yell at us. Okay. <laughs> so they're teaching hand, hands only CPR now. So. Okay, good. I just, we got to get that on the record. <laughs> um, if, if I get a phone call from your daughter as I'm trying to learn CPR, you know, I'm, I'm going to look at myself in the mirror and go, what is wrong with you? What, how can you know? <laughs> um, now you know, she's actually she's recovering from knee surgery right now, so she's uh, she's in a machine that makes her leg go uh, back and forth four hours a day, and uh, <laughs> she's doing really well though. She just had she had surgery just before Thanksgiving, but she's doing great. So well, we're we're wow. so happy to great. hear that. You know, that's I know the the recovery of of that kind of thing can be a real pain, and 
you know, but I'm so happy to hear that she's, she's doing that. And, you know, I guess the good news is that she, you know, she, she may not physically kick me if, if I do the right, <laughs> the wrong, you know, CPR. So I can, I can, you know, but um, let me just, let me just stamp my first class ticket to hell right now for, for that. Um, um, but now, now I know it's not the highlight of your career, but the, you know, the one, what it does kind of remind me of here is that, there, you know, when you worked the World Series in 2013, and obviously working a World Series is a highlight of anyone's umpire career, uh, not to the same level of saving a woman's life, but it is the, you know, I guess you would consider it the pinnacle of the profession. You you made the right call in game three of the of the World Series that year between the Cardinals and the Red Sox. And I believe it is still the only World Series game that ended on a properly officiated obstruction call. Can you, can you take us through that? Not only for, you know, for what, you know, the, the mechanics of, of, and the rules and whatnot, but, you know, obviously you, you, you had to talk to the press afterwards and whatnot. And, and there was, I guess there's a sense of irony in that, you know, just a couple of years prior, you're handling the one thing and now you're handling this. And it seems like, although, although you missed the call in the first one, I feel like you got the call correct in life because of how you handled it. And now you made the correct call while handling cor it correctly just a couple of years later on baseball's biggest stage. Right. That was, uh, and, and it really, it really boiled down to nothing more than instinct mm -hmm. experience. And I never thought about it. Let's put it that way. The, the play happened. And as an umpire, as an official, you have to wait till the action happens. Right. And that's exactly how it went because there's a play at third base and I'm waiting for it to happen and the ball flies right past me. And so I, John Hirschbeck was right behind me at, in left field. Right. And I looked and I said, okay, John's going to take this from there as the ball gets out there. I have to turn back and see what's, what's happening in front of me now. And that's when Will Middlebrooks and was it Alan Craig? Craig yeah, Alan Craig. Yep. They get they get tangled up, and the uh, Middlebrooks' legs come up, and Craig falls over him. And instinctively, I knew it was I knew it was obstruction right there. Right. So now you got to point, yell it twice, and I yelled it out loud twice. <clears throat> and when Craig now gets up and he's going to home plate. Now the, it, it passes to Dana DeMuth, the home plate umpire. Yep. Whose responsibility at that particular time is to stop the action and implement the penalty for obstruction. Right. And Dana is one of my best friends. Really? And Dana did a great job on it and everything like that. And all I can do is kind of snicker about it because, uh, Alan Craig, after the fact, they asked him what happened. He goes, I don't know. He goes, originally, I thought it was the worst call in Major League Baseball history. Because really? he was out by so much. Wow. He he didn't realize that it was obstruction. Interesting. Interesting. And so Dana, right away, stopped the action. He pointed down to third base, and he's yelling obstruction. And the funny thing about it, Jack, afterwards is the only person that really put up a uh, – um, uh, a, a, a type of uh, I'm just going to say it. They put up a bitch about it. Yeah, was was Pedroia really? Pedroia couldn't understand how that how that happened. 
And, and when I mean a bitch by it, I mean, he was just questioning it. And the look on his face, face was so hurtful that you know, how could this happen? You know, <laughs> game should end like this. And, um, and um, Farrell, it's really kind of funny to hardly put up any argument at all. Really? Yeah. And he realized what had happened and literally he kind of walked away from it and there was no big huge argument over this and we went back to the locker room and as we filed in our locker room um at that time joe torrey randy marsh um i'm trying to think if there was another even though another supervisor there and joe torrey right away said guys you got it right that's great. That was a group. That that's a group effort too. It's yeah. not just one one man's call. It's a group effort, and uh, we did pretty well in that series because that was the last World Series that we did not have replay, meaning plays at the bases and stuff like that. We did not have it. We only right. had boundary, home run, replay at the time, and we had calls at every base. I mean, every single base and. My humble opinion, it was one of the best umpire world series ever. I would agree with that. I would, I remember watching that and, and thinking, you know, it, like, like you said, it's a group effort. It's not just you instinctively making the call. It's John Hirschbeck knowing he's, you know, you're working a six man crew, which you're not working right. during the regular season. He knows right away. I got the ball right now so that you yep. can then look at the base. Dana's paying attention, knows exactly what he's supposed to be doing. I mean, that's, that's, that's money right there, you know? And then you have the other umpires that are watching base runners right then because yep. in case something else happens. Yes. I mean, if the ball goes into uh, – if the if the ball goes out of play, now you have your other two guys, three guys actually, watching the situation because everybody else is focused third base. They have to watch the the second – the batter runner. Right. And, and if something else happens. Yeah. So, it, like I said, it it really is a group effort. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I, that that was a and as a Yankees fan, it pained me to watch the World Series that year. But I, <laughs> I was I. You're absolutely right that you know you think about the crews that get assigned to various World Series and whatnot, and and I have to agree that 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 was such a pleasurable pleasurable World Series to watch. And you had, I believe, you had Game Six behind the plate when right. when the Sox won, right? Right. What was that experience like? It was kind of funny. The game started out at, um, um, oh, God, his name's escaped me. I can see his face. The catcher for Boston, manager of the Cubs. Uh, David Ross. David Ross comes out. First couple pitches, David's catching, and he catches the ball and throws it back. Next pitch, I'm not even sure which pitch it was. David turns around to me and says, Jimmy, where'd you have that pitch? I said, I had it outside. He goes, okay, I just want to know where we stand. Yeah. Well, I didn't really think too much about it. It was kind of like some little bit of chatter between the, the both of us. At the end of the game, we got the biggest compliment I probably have ever gotten from a catcher in Major League Baseball. He turned around to me. Naturally, they just won the World Series. But David turned to me and said, Jimmy, that's the best game behind the plate I've ever had. That's great. And I just went. I didn't, I, I just, I couldn't even say thank you. I was so sh struck by that. Yeah. And I'm not saying that once again to be egotistical. It has nothing to do with that. It just happens at, again, a moment in time in baseball.
Yeah. And um, arguably, I still say that it was the best umpire World Series, at least in my lifetime. In my lifetime in baseball, I can honestly say that. So, uh, and a, a compliment all. Bill Miller had the pickoff at first base that ended the game. Never yep. happened before. Um, uh, we had the obstruction call, Dana. I mean, we had the unfortunately Dana's call at second base, but we all got together on that. It was there was no, you know, no, no egos got hurt. Yeah, um, and, and we just we just did what umpires are supposed to do. And that's that's beautiful. That shows beautiful. you how important communication is. <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. You know, back in the day, and you guys probably know this, back in the day, probably nobody would have done very much on a play uh, back in the day when you umpire your own game. You, If you were at first base and, and a ball fell out or something like that, nobody came to help you. Yeah. you were That was your call, and you stuck with that call. Live or, they used to call it live and die with that call. Yeah. Those days are over, especially with replay. Yeah, but that's true. During that, world, during that World Series, we didn't – let somebody hang out to dry. That's yeah. That's that's very very true. Um, another game that I, that I highlight is it was in the last month of your of your your regular season career on uh, September eighth, two thousand sixteen. Astros were visiting the Indians, and it was yeah yeah. The reason I, the reason I bring this one up is because of what was said by Terry Francona afterwards. You know, and and obviously the call went in his favor, but in 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 Tito's post game, he said, "quote Nobody ever wants to have a call go against them." I will say that guy behind the plate gives you as good an effort and is as conscientious as any umpire I've ever been around. And there have been calls that have gone against us with him. It's just hard to get mad at him because he gives you everything you can ask for. What, what does that mean to you when, when, when someone like Terry Francona says that? I'll take every bit of it. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't happen that often. Yeah. And uh, I remember the play, and we can talk about it a little sure, bit. Sure, yeah. Um, it, it, it's it's and because I have a I have a gripe about that play. Okay. <clears throat> okay. The play happens. There's a ball in the dirt. Check swing. I'm behind the plate. I can't see anything. I have yeah. no idea what happens. I don't even know where the ball went. Okay. Castro, the catcher, just stands up. He starts. He makes one step to go get the ball to the left. So I'm thinking, okay, it's a pass ball. Makes a sense. Wild pitch. Yep. And so bases are loaded and runners are running everywhere. Yep. Screaming. Finally, I I finally catch the ball is over by the bat boy and the ball boy's chair and Castro's not going to go get it. Two runs have scored. A third run's about ready to score and I think okay something's wrong. Right. Okay, we gotta we gotta have to figure out. I called time, and I probably shouldn't have done that. Makes sense. Yep. I, I should probably just let him keep let circling. Him Worst case, you can always send him back. <clears throat> Absolutely. So I go to my crew. I ask my crew, what do you guys have here? And I get six eyes that are sympathetic as hell, and they can't tell me what happened. Wow. That is the worst feeling an umpire can ever get that nobody on your crew can tell you what happened. Oh man. Yeah. 
And I'm even praying they make something up. <laughs> I hear you. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> so now I got to go to um, A.J. Hinch. And I said, A.J., I'm sorry, but we got we got a pass ball. We got a wild pitch, and that's it. And I said, and I said to him, I probably shouldn't have stopped the action. I said, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back, and I'm going to replay and ask them if they can tell me where the runner should be placed. Okay. Meaning the – I don't know if he was the runner from first or the batter runner. I think he was actually the batter runner. I go to replay. Jim Wolf answers the phone. And right away, Wolfie says, Jimmy, I can't help you. I said, I know. I know it's not reviewable. But what I need you to do is tell me where the runner goes. And he said, they talked about it for a second. He goes, second base. And I said, I said, God bless it. I didn't use that yeah. specific yeah. term. Right. I said, I cannot believe that you guys can't help me. And I put the phone down, took the headset off, and went back and I placed the runner, went back to A.J. Hinch, and I said, they can't help me. Non-reviewable. And I said, A.J., I think it's bullpucky. Yeah. He goes, you're going to have to run me. I said, I know. I said, just do me a favor. Just don't go crazy on me. Okay. So he he did his arm wave. He goes, Jimmy, I respect the shit out of you. Oops. No, you can. Hey, the hell out of you. We, we were rated M for immature. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, uh, you're going to have to run. Me. And I said, I know. And boom. I, I run AJ. He gives yeah. me a couple non-vicious parting shots and leaves. And we get rain at the top of the, uh, at the, top of the next inning. And I go into the locker room and I actually get a phone call from baseball. Wow. And telling me the Astros aren't really happy. And I said, you know what? I'm not either because you guys can't do anything to help me. I said, all you had to do was tell me what happened. That's all yeah. you had to do. Yeah. Then we make it right to this day. That is still not allowed. Yeah. Mm. And it makes absolutely no sense to me. I understand. There's always yeah. a play, and 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 as you know, as an official, mm -hmm. there have been plays that you don't know what happened. If you have replay, it only makes common sense to me that the crew chief on the field should be able to call for a replay at any point in time where you don't know what happened. And to this day, they're not allowed to. I oh, I I understand. It makes, it makes no sense that the managers are in charge of instant replay. Yeah. Not the umpires. Yeah. No, if you're, if, if the goal is to get the call, right. Right. You know, outside of, and uh, uh, we can talk about balls and strikes later, but if the goal is to get the call, right, then the crew chief should have, you know, the, what, what you're basically saying is like, you know, you're, you're coming from a good place. You're not trying to screw a team here. No. You're, you're literally saying, I have a tool at my disposal that will help me do the best job I can. Please let me use it. Exactly. Yeah, I understand that. Exactly. I, I could have went back to replay and I, I could have said, Wolfie, what happened? Tell me yeah. what happened because my other three guys don't know. Yeah. And I have no idea. Wolfie could have said, you know what? It was a foul tip off of the, bat off of the batter. And he says, you got to put everybody back and everybody's happy. Actually. Yeah. Francona might have a small bitch, but I say to, I say to Tito, 
Terry, replay sees it definitely as a foul ball. Right. We got the call right. Yeah. We got the call right, and you can argue if you want, but it's it's not going to make any difference. Yeah. And and for the record, I'm watching that replay myself from from the, the, the angle of the Indians dugout down the third baseline. It's not clear as day, even you know, from 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 your my first viewing of it, you know. So I if so if if I'm even casting that benefit of the doubt, that allows me to empathize with what you are experiencing. In that you just you you have no idea. You just didn't see it. It happens, you know. Yep, it it's, happens. It's part of the game. So and so that's I get, why we have replay. That's yeah. exactly the reason we have replay. Here, here's what it, it, it immediately comes to mind. We're allowed to go to replay when a ball, a pitched ball hits a batter in the foot and we don't see it. Mm-hmm. But the athletics all wear white shoes. Right. <laughs> You're very, so very really yeah. part of that is convoluted. But even the fact that we're allowed to watch, look at a replay that's it, possibly have hit somebody's foot but we can't see if it hits a bat. No, I totally disagree with that. And yeah. and there's, it, it's, it, it takes 90 seconds to do in that case. It's not like we're holding up the game for a rain delay. Right. So um, I just wish, I just wish the baseball would implement that the crew chief, if there's a play on the field that you can't explain away, right. Then go to replay. That, that I'm, I'm, yeah, I don't consider myself an expert, but I have no argument with you. So that's, <laughs> you know, that's that I'm I'm with you there. Um, you mentioned the ejection of AJ Hinch, and obviously, you know, we know that you know he he said I got to you know you got to run me and whatnot. There, one of the things that we try and do a certain degree, and I'm sure you have the ability to do this being retired now as opposed to being active is to, to humanize the, the umpires and the coaches in those situations and kind of pull the curtain back a little bit in your experience. What, you know, can you shed light on what was really occurring in some of those conversations that you had with uh, coaches and players and whatnot, because obviously the perception on TV and whatnot is this heated argument where, you know, toxic masculinity is just being thrown back. And that's not to say it doesn't happen, but, you know, we're we're starting to hear more and more stories of what you just said, where AJ is going to come out and put on a show basically Mm -hmm. because it's quote unquote, what's supposed to happen. And the reason that I I think (laughs) this is because when we see that as fans, without knowing the context, it trickles down to the, the younger levels and that, in, in my experience, that's what people see and thinks that gives, gives them carte blanche to basically act the same way. Right. So, they actually think they actually people actually think that every argument is cutthroat. Right. Every argument's not cutthroat, fans. Yeah. I'm, I'm just here to tell you a lot of them are. Now, it's actually progressed. When I first started in baseball and in the major leagues. The arguments were pretty much pretty vicious. Okay. Um, and it was kind of like a war, especially when I was in the minor leagues. The, the minor leagues were a war every night. Yeah. And as time progressed, I get to the big leagues. I have the old-time managers, Billy Martin, Earl Weaver, Dick Williams, um, you know, that type of manager. They were always fly off the handle, go for it managers. Yeah. Not to say that there weren't some you know, managers that were – let you work. 
And as time progressed, <laughs> the money got better, managers got more educated, and I can give you an example of that because we've just been talking about him, Terry Francona. Yeah, okay. Might be one of my fav- most favorite managers ever. Terry came out one time in Yankee Stadium. A-Rod was batting, and Manson, the pitcher, threw behind A-Rod. A-Rod ducked the pitch, and the ball hit his bat. Okay. I ejected Manson right away. Okay. I thought he was going after A-Rod. Francona came out and naturally has to defend his player. He has to defend his pitcher. And how I know I was kind of on the right track is Manson walked up. Mountain never said a word. That's fair. So that's a clue right there. Yeah, yes. Now Terry has to take up for Manson. And man, uh, Terry said the same thing to me. Jimmy, you're just going to have to eject me. I wow. said, nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. He says, what do you mean, no? I said, I'm not going to eject you. I said, you're better off in that dugout just watching the rest of the game. I wasn't trying to be smart, but there was no reason for me to eject him. That makes sense. You did your part. You rejected the offender. I, 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 I was shocked that he said, okay, and turned around and walked away. But it also goes back to how he talked about me before. Okay. So I didn't really put those two things together until you just said that about what he said at, in, in the Houston game and this game I had with him in Yankee Stadium. <clears throat> and But now it makes perfect sense. <laughs> But I think that's also the, the the respect factor. Yeah. I think there's something to do with that. Um, I would have to say that probably 60% of the arguments are, well, we don't argue anymore anyway. That's we true. Replay. Yeah. The argument has left the game uh, unless it's balls and strikes. Um, and that's short-lived. Yeah. Um, but up to that point, Arguments 60, 65% of the time were heated. Okay. And the other 30% were just explain to me what happened. And then I have to get ejected. Interesting. And I'm getting ejected for the player you just called out at second base. Right. I'm back in my team. I'm back in my I'm back in my players. Um, so the game has really changed in that regard. I don't even know what the statistics are about ejections now, but they have to be way, 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 way now. Well, I'll tell you, it's the what from what I have seen, it when the ejections do occur, more often than not, it's showing that either it's from a replay review where the call was correct and they got it right and they're going to continue to argue, or the umpire got the call right even before replay right. you know it's just it just goes to show you that there's a reason you guys are in the big leagues you're the best at what you do you know odds are you're going to get the call right and there's no, you know there's not a lot of reason to to demand a pound of flesh for for what is in essence a right call you know right um well, do, i've been you, right plenty, i've been right plenty of times i've got my Handed to oh him. yeah, no, me too. You know, <laughs> or as I like to call that, a ten-year relationship with a female. So, hey, hey, Jack. Yeah, Jack. Did you ever have? Uh, did you ever have a a a, a manager when you umpire uh, ask you to uh, ring him up? No, no, not at all. <laughs> they're, they're at no point. And if they did, I would look him straight in the face and say, "This is high school JV baseball. Do you really want me to go home and have to do paperwork?" 
okay? When I, by me doing paperwork, you are keeping me from my next beer, okay? What, well, so there's, a, there's a huge difference, though, because the, the coach in Jack's games have to go sit in their car. Yes. The guy, Lou Pinella, goes into the, goes into the locker room, and he's got, I mean, that's where all the goodies are. Exactly. He opens a <laughs> bottle of wine. and you know. Yeah. I mean, really, it's, 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 you know, a juggling act on where you're going to look at this. It's, yeah. No wonder they want to get rung up. <laughs> they, got, they got the money to pay the fine, you know? Do you, do you think that, you know, I, 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 I asked this because I, we did an interview with, um, I don't know if you know Steve Javi, the NBA. Yes, I do. Okay, so Steve was on the, on the podcast and I was asking him about it. And he was saying, you know, the only reason that I understand coaches taking up these fights, getting two technicals and going and whatnot uh, is for job security. You know, they, they, under, they believe that, you know, they know that the players are the ones who determine the outcome of the game and they understand that it's a it's a business that is measured on success, wins and losses. And if they want to have a job, you know, in, in in this game and whatnot, they need their players to to play for them and to win and whatnot. So it's either either I by taking up the argument, I'm going to get run instead of the player, or I hope to motivate the player, or, and and or other parties in order to try and facilitate a victory. Does that argument make sense to you as to why it occurs the way that it does? Because from a from a from an outsider standpoint, someone who may not even be involved in sports, you know, the idea of of conflict uh, and arguments like that just doesn't seem very productive. Uh, I agree. So, so so does does do you think that Javi's argument in this sense? I don't know if justifies <laughs> it, but at least at least it provides a solid foundation as to why the practice of arguments and thus ejections and penalties such as that occur. In my humble opinion, I, I, I had not heard that, um, that quote from Steve Javi, which I'm sure is, he knows a lot more about it in the NBA. Yeah. I have heard about it one time in the major leagues. Okay. I heard that a manager was told he needs to argue with the umpires more. That really? makes absolutely no sense to me. Yeah. None. None. I, I know. I agree with you. You know, one of our. As a matter of fact, I've actually had I've actually had managers come to our locker room when I was a you know fourth and second uh, fourth and third guy on the cruise, where I, we've had a couple managers come in and and say uh, take it personal, right? But my job's on the line. Basically, I, I I've only heard that a couple times. Interesting. And, it, it, it still doesn't make any sense to me. None. Yeah. No, I, None. I, I agree with that. I mean, there's a, one of our uh, VPs in our organization who, who coached baseball with me at, you know, at a certain point, or I think we were, maybe we missed each other, but he told me a story once where he said when he was coaching baseball, and I think he was working for uh, Dave Gallagher at the time here on the, on the, on our coast. And he said, I would watch the, the opposing coaches, because if they were to get on the case of an official, that was my cue to suddenly be the nicest guy in the world to the official, because now it has a strategic value to it. 
if absolutely you're gonna, strategy. You know, exactly exactly and it, it should you know in theory it shouldn't be strategy you just want the game to play itself out but we're human beings and and you have a, a fiduciary duty to right to look for that it's not you know it's 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 a type of gamesmanship if you will you know right i think there's been i think there's a, a lot of cases where a manager head coach whatever will go after an official for that benefit for mm -hmm. that um maybe i can light a fire under my team right um i i kind of get it a little bit from my playing days and stuff like that but as an umpire i don't think i've ever really seen it happen where i'm defending this player i'm 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 going to get these guys fired up maybe it has happened i don't know i'm not real sure about that but Javi's got one of the best ejections ever was here in Portland. Portland yeah. hated him. Oh, yeah. The that fans here hated Steve Javi, and he, and he ejected Mike Rice, the radio announcer, one night. Yeah. yeah he, he, Mike he, Rice gave him the slit across the throat, and yeah. Javi says, uh, uh, that's, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm, man. I'm plugging you right now. That, between that and when he, quote, unquote, ejected the mascot, was where you know i i love Classic. that story. yeah i love that i love the story he t he says when next night he's uh he's got reggie miller there and reggie looks over him during shoot around and just mouths at him the mascot really okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right Classic. Oh, it's, it's, there's such great stories um you know to to, to kind of put a bow on this you are in my opinion, the, you know, the, 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 the epitome of good sportsmanship in, in your, in, in the profession of officiating, if you could sell a message to, 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 to humanity, to our, our young athletes, our coaches, our fans, whomever about good sportsmanship and about treating other people the way that you would want to be treated, what would you say? How would you sum that up? Just the way you said it just there. Really? That's yeah. Um, especially treat people the way you want to be treated. I have had a lot of players that have treated me the way they want to be treated. One, one example, Ken Griffey Jr. Really? I'm the first umpire to eject Ken Griffey Jr. Okay. His rookie year, my rookie year. We developed a relationship after that, a professional relationship after that, that it was, he lied about the ejection. I told the truth about the ejection in jest. He always said I baited him. Well, that's not how the story goes. Fair enough. But that's the way Junior dealt with it with that big smile. Right. And he never got, he didn't get ejected for 12 more years. He, he treated people the way that he wanted to be treated. And I think you said it best. That's really the way. I don't care if it's in sports or, um, you know, if you're working in the fast food industry, you treat people, especially as a customer, we are, we're, we're losing it really. Yeah. Because people are getting upset on airplanes on in, in fast food places and stuff like that. What, what, what's wrong? You want to be treated that way. Right. So yeah. And whether it's sports I always say baseball is a totally different world. I lived in that world for 41 years. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> when I got out of the world, meaning every off season, I went back to being Jim Joyce, just treating people the way I wanted to be treated. Right. Um, 
And I think that's no matter what you do, that's the way it should be. And I hope we get back to that. I really do because we're not doing a very good job at it right now. Yeah, no, I, I, I certainly agree with that. And, and, you know, from my perspective, I try and have empathy, you know, in, in terms of a, of a pandemic, you know, knowing that it, it plays on people's mental states, you know, and, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a tough thing to endure, but at the same time that, you know, that explains it, it doesn't really necessarily excuse it. You know, it's, right, it's exactly, it's, you know, you, you get it, you understand why it happens, but that's half the battle. The next half is saying, now we got to improve from it. You know, right. my daughter, my daughter told us the other day, we spent Christmas together and she says, when you guys go home, please be careful because this virus is not kidding. Yeah. Meaning protect yourself. Yeah. And I, I mean, my wife and I are part of this three shot club and yep. I, I wish everybody would do it. I'm not, yep. I'm not doing a public service announcement or anything like that. I just wish, I wish everybody just would do it. Maybe we get over this hump. I, I, you're, you are preaching to the choir, you know, Sean and I are both not only fully vaccinated, but boosted. And um, you know, it, to me, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to, you know, do the math and realize that, you know, th this vaccine is not meant to kill you, you know, it's, it's right. meant to help. And, and absolutely, you know, like you can, you can argue, listen, you can argue mandates and po politics and all that stuff. So you're blue in the face. Uh, it's, it doesn't take away the fact that we're all trying to get out of this. And it's just, it's just not, it shouldn't have to be a federal case to you know, get a quick jab. If if that's if you know, and again, I'm I'm not trying to make a, a thing about it. Believe me. No, to, I put, no, I agree. You know? I agree. I agree 100 with you. And there should be no need for a mandate. Yeah, we should be smarter than that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, we really should be smarter. And there's no reason. I mean, to well, once again, you're right. Yeah. You know, we could we could probably get on the political part of this and everything like that. But really there's, I don't see any, in my humble opinion, not to do it. So right. yeah. no, I agree. I agree. And again, we're not trying to force that on other people. No, it's no. just, these are our opinions. We're entitled to our opinions and it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, we want people. I actually to thought we were smarter than this, to be honest with you. I, I thought, you know, uh, you guys didn't, but I grew up when polio was, Oh yeah. You know, Cause I'm an old guy. I'm an old guy. Oh, you're, what are you, 28, 29 years old? So, 30, 32. 32, okay. That's 32. Fair. And that I was mean, dated to me. So. <laughs> exactly, it was. Yep, yep. You're exactly right. And uh, <laughs> I remember we stood in line at school to do it. Yeah. It, there, there was no argument about it. Right. Right. And, oh, well. No, I, I, I understand. You know, uh, Dale was telling us the other day about, you know, what, what was happening with, with HIV and AIDS when, you know, when that was yeah. happening, you know, so it's, we've been, I... we've been here before, you know? Yes. Yes, indeed. And, and you I've know, actually had family, I actually had family, family members die from COVID and, 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 and they're still saying, uh, I'm not going to do it. And I, wow. and I rage at it. I rage. Yeah. I said, really, you're, you're not that smart. Your, yeah. your father died or, 
I, I don't get it. I, I just I don't get it. But once again, that's that's for another podcast. Yes, this is yeah, very true. We and our, say that very yeah. often. <laughs> oh, it's, I might as well just get a T-shirt that says that. You know. Um, <laughs> Which, which is fine because I I could always use more T-shirts. Uh, you know, Jim, they, there's there's that old mantra that says never meet your heroes or your idols. Well, those people can kiss my ass because this <laughs> this was uh, a dream come true, and and I cannot thank you enough from the bottom of my heart and on on behalf of our organization and and for Sean and whatnot. Um, I know you do great work also with Ump's Care uh, and 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 whatnot. So. Thank you a million times over for spending some time with us and sharing some laughs and some stories and, you know, stay in touch. We hope to do this again. And, um, you know, I wish you and your family, you know, nothing but the best this year and, and for the future. Well, thank you very much. Those are very, very, very kind words. And they hit my heart. You made my day today. Oh, so. thank you. Thank you. You did, you thank did you the for same. That. You did the same. Thank you for that. And, and please, for the people that are listening, really think about learning CPR. Yes. It, it, it really does. It, it does work. And for the other people, for what it's worth, take the jab. It, it yeah. hurts for a little bit. So yeah. I'll leave it at that. Man. Hey, it, it probably hurts worse, worse going out on a date with me. So, you know, <laughs> I, if, if the choice is between the jab and spending two hours getting a free meal around me, we can do it we can do it as a raffle exactly exactly <laughs> listen listen my master's degree is in music number, two, number 210 you win exactly <laughs> who's that oh that's me oh man that's awkward yeah i mean geez, my master's degree is in music i'm this is not rocket science for me okay so for crying out loud um Thank you again, Jim. We really appreciate it. And we, we will certainly be in touch. And um, for, for everybody out there, remember uh, our, our contact are osafoundation.org, podcast at osafoundation.org, facebook.com slash osafoundation, Twitter and Instagram at osafoundation, hashtag how you play the game. We're on YouTube. Uh, Jim's book is still out there if you want to read it. Uh, and until we speak with everybody again, we got more great episodes coming up. I believe our next one, we're interviewing uh, Chris Conroy, who had the plate for game one this past year. Uh, I believe we have uh, Amy Rosewater coming on from Ump's Care Charity. So we got a lot of good stuff. Everybody, please, please stay in touch and, and, and in tune with us. Um, and until, until our next episode, everybody, thank you. And please treat each other with respect. How You Play the Game is a production of the OSIP Foundation, Incorporated. The producer engineer of this episode is Sean Ryan. Music by SoundSpring Studio. The executive producer of How You Play the Game is Jack Furlong. For more information, visit osafoundation.org.